and are always grateful for your faithfulness. Lord, the fact that you love us so well, Lord, we thank you for uh, the fellowship and the peace that you give us through the brethren and the, and the body of Christ, Lord. And we're just, uh, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful for uh, these uh, apostles who wrote down the story, Lord, the account, and from their point of view and how we can learn from it. And so, Lord, help us to, to just uh, grow in our faith and that it would be a surer foundation than before. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, Mark 15, 33 through 39. Somebody please read that aloud. <coughs> Excuse me. At the sixth hour, darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice. Mm-hmm. That word, that phrase. Okay. Which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, Listen, he's calling Elijah. One man ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a stick, and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if he sees if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion, who stood there in front of Jesus, heard his cry and saw how he died, he said, Surely, this man was the Son of God. Great. Uh, initial observations before we dive in. I don't read Aramaic at all. <laughs> That's okay. Just say it really fast and people, you know, as long as you end with uh, knee, you're fine. <laughs> Steve. I was just going to say that that's huge, packed with all kinds of stuff. I was reading in Mar- uh, Matthew because we're doing a study of Matthew of paralleling this, and there, I mean, it, there's not, I mean, there's earthquakes, there's the uh, tearing, uh, tearing of the, uh, the, the, the separation of the uh, uh, temple uh, partition there, and, and I'm, the death of Jesus. I was just going to say it's it's huge, Mark. Uh, so much is happening mm-hmm. that. I was just going to say that uh, uh, I'm just shocked that, that you can put that much information in such a little little time, a little space. And then Mark would be like, what do you mean you need more explanation? I said it all right there. Well, there were, yeah, as, as it is in Matthew, yeah, there were other things like tombs opening and... yeah. So on and so forth. Earthquakes, yeah. So there was more going on. Yeah. D- don't get ahead of us. No. Yeah. <laughs> it's on the backside. No, I, I understand, yeah. Yeah, no. There you go. I was just going to say that uh, uh, my God, why have you forsaken me? I mean, we. I was just reading and meditating on to, for myself. At the end. <clears throat> Steve, that should have been you. That, that You know, your sin's put in there, and I, I'm just... It's serious, you know, when you think about what a gracious, kind author someone just stepped in your place. Well, we also realize, too, that he dealt with the whole sin issue of original sin. I mean, it was not just, I mean, yes, it's our sin, too, but it's the sin issue that plagues humankind, right? Um, So just uh, for just history uh, moments, the sixth hour would have been noon. So usually start around 6 a.m., six hours later would have been noon. So from noon to three we have complete darkness. And this darkness is akin to the plague of darkness um, that we would have seen in Exodus. Um, and so how does that darkness speak to what is happening on the cross? That mankind was 
Okay. Yeah. No, but that word darkness would have been uh, akin to the darkness described in Exodus. So um, that was so dark you couldn't see your hand in front of your face. So extreme darkness. Has anyone tried to explain that by physics or anything or... Yeah, even the even the, with the eyewitness accounts, even with the even if you said cloud cover or eclipse, it still doesn't cover the darkness that people described. So it's one of those things that right. kind of just well, it was only three hours. Move on. No. <laughs> right. so. so, what other sources or <clears throat> descriptions are there? What do you mean? But you said that people described. Yeah, so like Josephus, who was a Jewish historian who went back and interviewed people. To he's not a he, he was not a, a believer, um, but has some of the greatest historical support um, outside of Christianity and Judaism of the events that happened around the he, cross. When was he? Occur, when did he, he occur? He he started uh, chronicling shortly after Jesus had died and risen. So. Historian of that time, Luke also would have been considered a great historian of the time, and he records this. I think some of the things we need to notice too, right, is that Jesus claims himself as the light of the world, and in this moment, the light is is gone, um, and there is this moment that none of us can really explain that. Um, the father couldn't look upon the son. Um, and so there is a tension, potential disruption in the unity of the Trinity, not in, not in, not in form and function as far as purpose, but there is, there's a broken fellowship. God cannot have anything to do with sin, and all the sin of the world, past, present, and future, had been placed upon him. So we know that for a moment, something radical happened um, that will just it costs Jesus a lot. What do you think of the testimony of the of this uh, the centurion or the, the the Roman soldiers watching that? It said there was an earthquake. Rock. Well, let's hold on that thought for a little bit. Okay. Okay. Never mind. We're, we're doing scaffolding. We're building upon, okay. and we're getting there. So, <laughs> um, so what about the cry of thirty-four um, when he says, "My God, My God, why have you forsaken me?" How does that again? I kind of alluded to it a little bit. Indicate the true agony of the cross. He wasn't saying, "Hey, my hands hurt." Right? My feet are really bothering me. Could someone scratch that itch? Right? That's not what he's saying. So, how does that describe the agony of the cross in a greater way? Mm-hmm. Yeah. If God was eternal, well, it suggests that He was separate from the Father. Yeah. From all eternity. Right. For a moment, anyway. We know that. Yeah. We know the rest of the story, so we know. Well, that. I mean, what He said yeah. suggests that. Anyway. Correct. I mean, no, you're right. That's huge, right? That's huge. <laughs> So someone grab Isaiah 53, 5 through 10 and read it aloud for us, please. You go down and sing them. Yeah. Get my stripe brown. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. 
All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He was he has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Okay. So where it says it was the will of the Lord to crush him, a better translation or the actual translation it is that God was pleased to crush Jesus. So... We hear those words, God was pleased to crush Jesus. And so what are your thoughts when you think that it was pleasing to God to put Jesus on the cross? I'm probably proud of Jesus for going forward and doing what he wanted to have done. Okay. Well, I mean, that was the plan all along. Mm-hmm. As he was reading the, the, the total, as I was reading the total uh, uh, fulfillment of that uh, prophecy, it's almost like Jesus, you could see him there was a perfect, uh, there was just a perfection of how Jesus just fulfills that to the nth degree. You can't get around that. So Hebrews 12, beginning, says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And so that gives us a little indication into God's understanding and why it was God. And we need to remember, when we use the term God... Um, there's a Trinity aspect to it, right? All three of the Trinity persons, was, it was pleasing. And why? For the joy that was set before him. Because the issue of sin was being dealt with once and for all and complete reconciliation to God himself was now afforded to people. No other way satisfied this. And so, you know, sometimes uh, I think of if you're training for a marathon, I mean, I've heard this because I've never done that, but, um, but that, that you, you, you look to, I'm going to complete it. And so you go through, and this is very minimal compared to what Christ did, but you go through excruciating training regimens and that at times you want to quit and you feel like your body's dying, but you push through for the finished prize that is coming to be able to get there. And so... When God looks at the totality of everything, right, he is seeing (laughs) that there is a goal. And that goal is that all of mankind now could have the opportunity to be reconciled to God once and for all. And so the pain, it it was pleasing to finally 
you know, again, we're caught in time and history, but we look at how many years they've just did sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice and continually had this pattern of sin and then sacrifice, sin and sacrifice. Now, once and for all, sacrifice has been made and we have access to the Father. So how does verse 36 confirm the words of Jesus? And some one ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come and take him down. So which words of Jesus are we confirming? Okay. Sure, no, that's, that's fine. Um, his, so, whole, his whole mission of God's spreading word, Jesus? No. Jesus says that he will not drink of this, after he does the Lord's Supper, he will not drink of the wine until he's with them in heaven. So you see twice now, once he refused it, this time they were trying to give it to him and they said, wait, let's see. Uh, oh, so he didn't have any? No. No, all this time. <laughs> so again, God, God's word is God's word. When Jesus says something, even though a man might try to do something, wait, let's see. Hold on. So they didn't actually get it to him. They started to. And so we see that the gospels kind of mention this and for the specific reason to see that Jesus said he won't drink of this again. And even though that was normal. And plus, we talked about last week that the suffering and of, all the, of, that of all the sin of mankind that was placed upon him, right? That he didn't take any, any soothe pain relief, which would have been in, the, in the, the wine, the sour wine and the myrrh from the previous one. So... Anyway, so just neat things to look at how, even at that moment in time. So now we need to look at the veil. The veil of the temple was 30 foot by 30 foot. That's pretty long, right? And it was about four inches thick. Now you think of material, um, that's thick material. Think of the weight that that would have been, right? I mean, it's heavy. Um, We put on a heavy coat that's about, you know, an inch thick, and we're like, oh, it's so heavy, right? Or just think of a large foam book, right? Just paper. Um, are, is How easy is that to tear? If you're part of the power team from the 80s, you know, you, you go around making money doing that. But, but, um, but just think of some of these books, and that's just paper. This is material. Very, very thick. So what is the significance of the veil being torn from top to bottom? Gave us access directly to God. Okay. Without going through the priests mm-hmm. or the sacrifices, the sacrifice had just been taken care of by Jesus. Mm-hmm. And it was proof that this wasn't done by a man because it started from the top mm-hmm. and came down. Yeah. I was reading, uh, yeah. I forget where I was reading, I don't know if it was Josephus, but some historian was saying, that the, the twelve yoke of oxen, you know, couldn't rip that, couldn't rip that uh, sheet. Yeah, if they put six on each side and pulled, it wouldn't yeah, rip. It wouldn't rip on the thing, the, the thickness of it. But I was thinking that as Bonnie says, uh, the whole new covenant. I was just thinking in Revelation while I was doing another study here shortly. It says that uh, no one was found worthy. He says, but the blind of the tribe of Judah has, has prevailed over there. You know, no one was found to open the, the seal and uh, look on it. And I was just going to say that, that that speaks to me of just God from the top to the bottom. Per, you know, he's 
fulfilling an agreement for us. I mean, top to bottom, ripping that veil in two. It's, it's a huge, it's a whole new covenant. How does that impact, though, the way we understand um, our Christianity and our salvation? It's affirmed by God. Okay. The rip curtain was pretty dramatic. Okay. What would you think if you were a Pharisee looking at that? I mean, that was huge. I mean, the, the, the head uh, chief priest would only go there once, one time to offer a sacrifice, put bells around his uh, thing over there. If he, the bells stopped ringing, he'd pull him out when they rope tied around his thing. Uh, that whole new covenant, that would be an uh, interesting, uh, interesting thing from there. Sorry, we got the peanut gallery over here, so. <laughs> <laughs> Don't encourage me. No. <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute. I think there's other implications too. Um, again, kind of tagging on that a little bit is that this was a work that the priests would do once a year, go behind the Holy of Holies. They would tie uh, a rope around his ankle with bells on the rope. And, because, and if they stopped hearing the bells, guess what? He was dead. So they had to drag him out because he went in unworthily. So apparently they had to learn that at some point in time. But um, so the idea here is for our salvation, for our Christianity, it is completely the work of God and not the work of man. So when you see that the veil was torn from top to bottom, it was done by God and God alone. So reconciliation to a holy God is the work of God and not the work of man. And so to your point about Pharisees, I don't even say I'll include all mankind, right? We want to earn it. And the reality is no matter how hard we try, we cannot suffice the, the impact of sin. Only Christ can. And so the great thing is, is that God's like, let me do this for you. Top to bottom. Here we go. Um, and again, it was one of those things that was noted. Because how did that happen? <laughs> how could that happen? Top to bottom. Amazing. Well, the, the other miracles that day were kind of amazing, too. Mm-hmm. You know, the earthquakes, right. the darkness. That's pretty amazing stuff, yeah. too. So put it all together, yeah. So, so let's go to uh, Matthew 27. 51 through 54. Since we've been alluding to this a little bit. And if someone would read that, that would be wonderful. Thank you. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split. The tombs broke open and the bodies of any holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs and after Jesus' resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many people. I'm sorry, where? 54. When the centurion and those who, and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened. They were terrified and exclaimed, surely he was the son of God. Okay. So again, um, ancillary historians um, recorded this, um, that weren't believers in Jesus, that this actually happened. No explanation. (laughs) How do you explain this, right? (laughs) Bunch of bodies go out and start walking into the city. So I always try to put myself sometimes just as an observer to this. um, I can't even imagine how weird this would have been. I imagine 
even the greatest um, science fiction slash horror film or whatever. Yeah, right. I mean, how, you're like, wow. But this was a witness to the work of Jesus on the cross. So obviously we see it's the witness of the resurrection, right? The finished work of Jesus on the cross. But then we have something interesting. So Mark says that a centurion says, truly this man was a son of God. But Matthew claims there was more than just one guy that said this. Um, so how does this whole thing that's happening um, at this point give us greater insight into why the centurion and the centurions would, would in fear, proclaim that this was the son of God? Yeah, remember, these guys were great at crucifying people. Yeah. I mean... Yeah. So what exactly was a centurion? One of the heads of the guards or what? Yeah, they would have been the guys that were overseeing, making sure that the crucifixion was on schedule, making sure that the proper things... I mean, they were the ones that said, oh, hey, you know, we got to break their legs because uh, it, it's getting... I'm, I don't want to be late for my dinner date or whatever. Um, you know, or sometimes they would just leave them. But again, out of respect for the Jews, they took... They, took, they broke their legs so they would die faster. Um, so these guys were in charge of, of the executions. Would you, would you say from a little bit I've read of history that a centurion was in charge of 100 men or thereabouts, a, a company of men? Right, right. But uh, they would be the lieutenants, they mm-hmm. would be the majors, but they'd be over sergeants and corporals, mm-hmm. and they had authority. Right. Yeah. Which, again, gives a better picture of how many people would have been at this scene. Okay. So it wasn't a normal crucifixion. I mean, things happened that were supernatural, that shook them. Well, yeah, yeah. What do you do with that, right? You're these these earthquake rocks are splitting, the uh, p- bodies are being raised from the grave, darkness. Uh, I mean, after he says, "My God, My God, why have you forsaken me?" I mean, there's some there's some stuff that's happening that's just not a normal everyday crucifixion for them. You know, we think crucifixion is horrible, but for them, uh, it's just what we another day of work, right? Uh, no, I mean, it's, it's, that's what we did. It, it was. It's one of those things. You go, really? That was what you did? But yeah. So again, I think this reaction gives us this insight of something, as, as you all have stated, so spectacular occurred, they couldn't deny that this man on the cross was God, the Son of God. So let's move on. Go ahead. Somebody, go ahead. Because they didn't believe in this one God. They believed in many gods, but there was one God above that many gods. So they may not have been even saying our God, but for them to acknowledge that it was some God. Well, this phrase would have affirmed the Jewish God as the only God. So they used the terminology that would have said, oh, there's like a real God that is... Yeah, so, so. so what was the Good point, sign though. that was put above Jesus when he was crucified? King of the Jews. 
didn't say son of God, but no. anyway, king of the Jews. No, but son of God was a term that, that Jew, Jews used um, right. as the, the term of the Messiah. And also Jesus used it um, as actual God language, that he was God. So, All right, someone read 40 through 41 of Mark 15, please. Some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, the younger of Jose, and Salome. In Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs. Many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem were also there. Okay. So Mary Magdalene was the woman who had several demons cast out of her. We can see that in Luke 8, verse 2. Um, Mary, the mother of James the Younger, or sometimes called James the Little. So not the James that we see who, who was the half-brother of Jesus that wrote, that wrote the book of James. And Josie, sorry we pronounced that, um, um, who was a disciple. So she was the, the mother of these two. She was also at the tomb with Mary Magdalene, Salome, and Joanna when the angel told them that Jesus had risen from the grave. So, Salome was the mother of James and John and the wife of Zebedee. Now, James and John were called the sons of thunder. <laughs> they were, and they were the sons of Zebedee. Right? No, but he was, they were some, what was noted about them was that they were pretty strong. They were guys who were, um, take action, part of the ones that say, hey, do you want us to call fire down from heaven for all these people who aren't with us? And Jesus is like, eh. And then they were also part of that dispute. Who's going to be the greatest? You know, or who gets to sit at your right hand? That was the mother. Remember when they said, hey, my mom wants us to know who gets to sit at your right hand. That, that, was, that was this gal here. <laughs> Salome was the mother. So um, what is the significance of Mark mentioning these women? support uh, they're, they're not, they don't have the uh, apostleship but I believe that they're, uh, they're taking care of uh, Jesus and the apostles and the entourage <coughs> there. Uh, it, it speaks volumes of their servant, servant and how important they are okay well that they're even mentioned is important because mm-hmm. you know typically the men would be right It's very significant. Bonnie, you had something to say. I was just going to say, they invested so much into Jesus. They cared for his needs. They followed him. Um, there's an investment in somebody. You want to know what's happening. And they don't seem to have the same level of scattering that the other disciples had. They, they seem to actually be waiting to continue to attend to him. And I think that's significant. Um, what about after the, uh, they put him in the tomb? They're the first ones to right. the body. They're the first ones to, to go over there to check on him. I mean, their, their dedication and their worship of the Lord is, is, is really significant. Mm-hmm. It's, it's awe-inspiring. 
So how does that support, though, the ministry of Jesus and his message? I'm sorry, what? That it was what? His message was for everyone. Yeah. I mean, he gave equality to women that was not common. Um, But there wasn't equality for women, and I think uh, if the apostles would have been the ones to be there, there would be a lot of skepticism as a result, because mm -hmm. they were the leaders. Yeah. Yeah. And you had some people that that were not in that leadership role. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're the ones that made the discovery, right? And gave more credence to the right because some of the theory was put guards there so that the disciples don't come yeah. take them and away. They did question even that, <laughs> even though it was these right. women that found right. that right. the tomb was empty. Yeah, yeah. and we, yeah. Can I ask something? No, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Just butt in. <laughs> <laughs> yes, ma'am. Uh, and I, you know, I'm not trying to be contrary, but this is something that's really bothered me. You say Jesus um, revered women if they served in the role. Because what these women were doing was serving in the role that women served during that time. They served to take care of Jesus. Mm-hmm. For your apostles, that wasn't their job. Well, I think um, he brought equality to women that they were valuable, that they weren't property. Because for women to even be mentioned, for I mean, even when Jesus talked to women, they're like, why are you even talking to a woman? And so in that culture, and he's like, because this woman is someone I'm going to die for. Because this person is a person. Um, and so in their context, you're absolutely right, they served faithfully in their context of culture. Just like in our culture, we look for you know, women serve in, in a different way in our culture. But there's still cultures in this world today that are very similar to what Amen. Jesus was dealing with. And that's hard for us to even comprehend because, um, you know, we're like, but women are just as valuable as men and they're not property. Um, and if, you know, in our context, if you try to tell a woman she's property, well, you won't see her anymore. But, um, <laughs> but, but to us, other contexts, and that's why, I've got to be honest, that's why a lot of times, I don't want to get political here, but that's why people are trying to get to this country, is because of the opportunity for people, male and female, to have opportunity that they don't get in certain contexts. Um, and I won't go any further politically than that because there's other stuff in that. But Steve, to Dwayne's point over there, I wonder if there's a, a place where, in the world system, uh, in the carnal nature of our, our government in the world, we have values, caste systems of women, women, and different uh, social standings. But in the in the spirit realm, there is a Paul says the Corinthians, no, there's not male, female, slave, free. Right. I mean, there's no distinction of. God, you know, we're equal in the sight of God in, in the spirit realm, not in the, not in the governing uh, of the world systems. We seem to have all kinds of caste systems. Yeah, well, yeah, go ahead. In the Bible, it seems like women are blamed for everything. That's easier. <laughs> really? I, I still blame, I still blame Adam because she... She, he didn't stop her, and she handed it to him. <laughs> like, uh, hey, you didn't do your job, buddy, right? So, uh, <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> you were right there. Uh, 
Yeah. So, I mean, I think that, that it's one of those things where, and, and on a sarcastic side note, if you want information to spread really quickly, tell it to women. Right, so the women got revealed. Now, <laughs> now, now they're getting, now they're getting it. <laughs> What's that? Telephone, telegraph. <laughs> <laughs> and now, how, how quickly can we get? Huh, huh, how, how quickly we get to confession and absolution today? Uh, <laughs> no, it's, it's always maybe laugh because, you know, prayer chains are always run by women because they'll actually get at the phone and, and let somebody know. They actually care a little more to share a message than sometimes guys are like, ah, well, we'll get around to it. Oh, you know, this happened the other day. The tomb was empty. I... <laughs> so, um, yeah, so uh, I think that, again, it's one of those things where um, in a society and a culture that does have caste systems and does even even you know like Meg you said it's to everyone I mean even in in cultural systems right I mean why why is there such a topic of racism in our in our culture today because people elevate themselves above others and they look down upon others Um, it doesn't matter whether you're male or female we have the tendency unintentionally Sometimes intentionally, but we have the tendency to still do that. Um, again, so I'll pick on myself. We uh, went to Walmart yesterday, which I try not to do on Saturday, but whatever. Laura wanted to walk a little bit, so. Well, no, we didn't, but that's Laura's not getting out of the house real fast, although she did good today. But anyway, so so we're walking, and um, this guy gets into his car and handicap and pulls out, and I look in, and it's the dude that sits on the corner that says. Falling on hard times, and he's driving a car away with a. I'm like, and he's been he's been there for. And so I had to, but I had, it wasn't. It wasn't good for me because my heart was not good in that moment. I'm like, I'm like, you're driving a car. Come on. Yeah. But he took all the money that those people probably twenty five hundred dollars that he got, and he went and spent. Well, well, but maybe, and so, but I have to realize that that person, whoever they are, right, is still extremely loved by God, regardless of my opinion, and valued by God, that Christ died, went to the cross for that person. And, and so who am I? And I'll just pick on myself, but who am I sometimes to have those feelings? Now I realize I'm in this flesh and we have these feelings, but it's in us to label people and to exalt self. It's just what we do. Right? I mean, it's like the, the Pharisee and the tax collector. Lord, I thank you. I'm not like that guy. <laughs> and we do that inadvertently. You, you know, Lord, thank you. That, I mean, I say this all the time. Lord, thank you that I'm in a country and even, even with broken as it is, where I can freely worship you. Um, because the reality is, I, I, I don't know if I would last in another country. Right? It's one of those things. I know how weak I am. Uh, and so... We just thank the Lord. Yes. Well, the, uh, it's interesting because uh, I think Jesus uh, had to operate under the system that, he, first of all, you don't you don't see an, a female apostle, you don't see a book written in the New Testament written by a woman, uh, and so forth. So that, to me, 
it's sort of contradicting things. <laughs> well, I mean, the reality is, is if you wanted the message to get out and for it to be taken seriously, in that context, it had to be a man. Well, that's what yeah. I'm saying. Yeah. He operated under... Right. The, but Jesus was like, hey... <laughs> and we see the Apostle Paul, you know, in that you quoted him, Steve, but a couple of times he said, there's no male or female in, in the kingdom of God. So, you know, there are roles. What is that going to be born Oh, I know, right? No. <laughs> I'm glad that things are going to be changed. So, um, anyway, so it's good. I mean, it, it, Jesus continually, and His work continually gets us to go. How do I really feel about other people? How do I really think God's heart is towards other people? Um, and how Jesus kind of was the rebel and counterculture at the time, mm-hmm. right? Well, he see. had women around him and so forth that were important to, mm-hmm. I think, his mission. But yeah. when it comes to those roles that, I mean, uh, they didn't go after a woman like they did Peter when they asked when he denied yeah. Christ. Well, you see in the New Testament, actually you have Priscilla and Aquila. Uh, so um, Aquila would have been a woman who was used in teaching other people. We have Lydia, who was who was yeah. holding church service at her at her house, and so you do see that things shifted, right? I mean, early on. Now, obviously, it shifted more, and it has now. But there's still, I mean, we can get into the minutia of divided roles and whatnot. But there's still a change, right? That that started with Christ. Steve. Did you have a are you saying you don't have anything to say? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Not at the moment. <laughs> I'm keeping it within. <laughs> if, if, I, if I'm remembering right, though, uh, to Elaine's point over there, there seems to be a, a, a contradiction, but it, I don't know that it is because basically, if you go to the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, and he's laying out the uh, the, the Old Testament. There was responsibility. If you didn't, if you didn't uh, honor the thing, you could end up dead. I was thinking of Nadab uh, uh, and Abihu over there upholding the unholy fire. God just killed them right there. Boom. You know. Uh, yeah, a lot of guys died in the Old Testament. A lot of guys <laughs> died for not honoring the Lord. And, and uh, yeah. Uh, and, yep. Uh, if you, you know, and there's a, I guess what I'm saying, there's an accountability. If you had the authority and you didn't honor it, uh, I was thinking of Moses and. Uh, uh, his, his buddy over there uh, wants to rebel you take too much authority on yourself and God says hey you this group over here that group over there and I mean there's, there's some serious thinning the herd <laughs> thinning of the herd hey, wow. and you really thought that I should say <laughs> different type of deforestization let's 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 close in prayer Lord thank you for the joy that we have Lord uh, it's just good to to share in the hope of eternity with one another. And, and Lord, we thank you that, that you have been so good and gracious and merciful. And so, Lord, as we look at your heart, uh, we recognize that, that apart from you, well, we really um, have no chance. And so thank you, Lord, for, for giving us your very heart, your very spirit that, that will lead us and guide us into those things that are pleasing to you and those viewpoints and those understandings, Lord that are pleasing to you. So Lord, we thank you again. In Jesus' name, amen.